Thank you guys so much for those Yeah, that was amazing. songs. Did you enjoy worship this morning? Yeah? Amen to that. Uh, hi, my name's Stephen. I'm the student ministries pastor here. And I am Melody, also a pastor here at New Song. <laughs> we got to do one for Grant, too. Grant is also a pastor at New Song. And now you guys, you guys are here at New Song. All right, we just want to welcome you today. If you are visiting us for the first time, welcome. If you haven't been here in a while, welcome. If you're here every Sunday, welcome. Uh, we are just happy to gather in this place together. And if, if, if you are interested in connecting with one of us, one of the pastors, or you need a little bit more information on this ministry or on that ministry, it is vital that you fill out a connect card that you see in front of you with your name, a phone number, and an email. Someone a couple Sundays ago said, you know, I, I actually met her a few days later, and she said, yeah, no one reached out to me. And I said, wow, that's weird. Did you, where did you put your connect card? And she said, I had to fill out a connect card. And I said, yes, fill out a connect card, and then we will have your information. I can't magically guess your phone number. So please, please, please uh, fill one of those out. Let us know how we can connect with you. Also, how we can be praying for you. Uh, here at New Song, we believe in the power of prayer, as you will hear later on today, 100%, 200%, infinity percent. We also believe in the power of Jesus, and that is our mission statement right there. And we hope to be transformed by the Holy Spirit, follow Jesus, love people, and do good. And also, if you want to know more about what that means, um, because you don't really know what that means, or you want to just ask, how does New Song do that tangibly? We can answer those questions. So please, please, please fill out a Connect card or reach out to us. You can find one of us somewhere on the campus afterwards, and um, we will be happy to chat with you. Yeah. Does anybody know what day today is? Sunday? Sunday? Sunday. What kind of Sunday? Soup Sunday! Today after church, we are going to be having Soup Sunday, so don't go anywhere for, uh, for lunch. Stay around here. You might see that we have some name tags. If you didn't get a name tag, you can get one after. That's just kind of something we do on the first Sunday of each month, Soup Sunday, where we get name tags just so we get to know each other, um, so you can meet someone that you don't know and already know their name. I'm kind of the, the new guy around here. So it helps me a lot to start, uh, start seeing some names and know who you are. So make sure you stick around. We'll have some, some students serving soup in the back. And uh, it's going to be a great time to be able to fellowship and get to know each other right here after service. Another thing we have going on this week, as we will throughout the summer series, is our small groups that meet right in here on Wednesday night, 6.30 to 8 p.m. It is not a lot of time, and it is you sit around with a group of people, and you chat about um, what the message was. Sometimes we leave here thinking, huh, I wonder about what Grant said about this, or Melody said that, or whatever it was. And we generally put together questions that might be on everyone's mind afterwards. So I encourage you, it's just through um, September 27th. Before you know it, we're going to be there, right? School's starting. Who starts school this week? Anybody? No one yet? Some of you guys? Yeah. Um, we're going to have actually a special prayer for students and administrators and teachers, all people connected with schools next week. So make sure you're here for that. 
But um, September 27th is going to roll through so quickly, and before you know it, it's going to be over. So check it out on a Wednesday. There's so many people here. The youth group is here having their stuff. There's lots of life here on Wednesday nights. Speaking of life, we, as a student ministries, just came back from camp this past week. Yeah. And that was absolutely amazing. There's some pictures that will be coming through on the back so you guys can see some some amazing shots, like Jalen doing a Kajabi can-can right there. I will say there's a photo in there. Um, Jalen, they had a belly flop competition. Uh, exactly. And uh, my thoughts were, hey, I don't care how many points. I don't really want to hurt myself. Um, but Jalen and Edwin, if he's here, I don't know if he's here. They stepped up to the plate, and they're like, hey, we're going to do it for our team. And Jalen did the best. Um, was it was a single or a double front flip? It was like the cleanest front flip to belly flop I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> the judges gave him literally an infinity score of like the best one ever. Speaking of that, we did so many amazing games. They had an amazing rec team. We had our, our high school girls, which were the Ruby record team, our junior high girls, which were the uh, Midnight Melody, and then our guys that were the Silver Shredders, and we, we all kind of competed with other churches on all these fun rec games like getting water and running around. There's me with some crazy hair. Uh, or my cousin, right? It's my cousin. That's what, that's what we were telling everybody. There was also at camp some really amazing times where they were able to um, really connect with the Lord. They had an amazing speaker, Matt, who was able to, to talk about kind of the, the essentials that we talk about, the essentials unity. So the first night we talked about the Trinity and kind of give a baseline of, hey, this is what the Trinity is in some terms that we could all relate to and understand. The second night, we talked about the Bible and why it's so important. Uh, the third night, we talked about uh, the gospel. And even the students had an opportunity to, to respond. And they gave them four areas to respond, whether you want to keep going with how the Lord's calling you, whether you want to come back to the Lord, whether you want to uh, start brand new with the Lord, or whether you're just like, hey, I have a lot of questions, and I'm kind of just, I just want to wait a little bit, which was amazing to see all of our students respond and pick up a, a, a button that literally was like, this is where I'm at with the Lord, to actually be able to have that language for themselves, and to go forward with where the Lord's calling them into. So I just have to say thank you. Thank you to all of you guys with your prayers, with your support, with your encouragement, especially as me going up a few weeks in. Um, I really appreciate it, and I know the students are impacted forever from, from this, this week. So thank you. Now, uh, as many of you know, I have four kids that went up to camp, and that night when uh, my husband came home, and we were both home from work, uh, it was like we needed a talking stick, you know, because everyone wanted to tell their stories, everyone wanted to do this, do that. But the one person I kept hearing about, I kept hearing about was about this character named Rockin' Ryan. Rockin' Ryan was there. And I don't know, I mean, I think maybe Rockin' Ryan needs to visit our church once in a while, huh? So it's your cousin, correct? Yeah, yeah, my cousin. His he lives cousin. in Nashville. Yeah, he lives in Nashville. Okay. <laughs> so we just, would you help me in thanking Stephen and the leaders who went up there? Do you have the thing? Okay. Um, so uh, just something to uh, consider also for students. I don't know if you're thinking about this. 
For our whole congregation, next week, the 13th, August 13th, we are going to be doing baptisms here at New Song. And it is a time to declare that you want to follow Jesus, yes? And it is also a commandment that um, we are called to do. And so if you want any more information about that, you can talk to Grant, you can talk to me, you can talk to Stephen, and um, we will be so happy to talk to you. But you need to talk to us today, okay? Because we need to be able to know how many people to expect. We need to be able to set some things up with you. Um, So please, 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 if God has moved something in your heart to take this step, please talk to one of us today. Yeah, especially any students who want to be baptized, come talk to me, and we can get you guys connected. Um, Also, all of this, we get to do a lot of amazing things around here. I feel very blessed that I get to jump in and with the students and and bless their lives. But all of this would not be possible without your guys' help, support. And so if you guys feel led to give uh, either online, there's a few different options, online through the app, through text message, or a giving envelope in the back of one of the seats. Um, It would really be a blessing. And there's a box right in the back uh, as you leave that you're able to put the the giving envelopes in. All right, would you join me in prayer today as we um, prepare our hearts to hear the words that Grant has prepared this morning? Lord Jesus, I ask you in your name, would you be in this place, Lord? Thank you for just the, um, uh, just the feeling in the air, Lord, that you are here and that you are, um, that we are able to honor and glorify you with what we do, Lord. Lord, I pray for um, Grant as he comes up to give us the message that you have put on his heart. Lord, be with him. Um, Thank you for calling him to this, Lord. Lord, bless him as he speaks, Lord. Lord, and for each of us who are just here, Lord, we have all different situations of where we're coming from, Lord, whether we came in a hurry, whether we came just strolling all in, whatever, however we came here, Lord, that we would just um, be open to what you might have to say to each one of us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray and ask, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, guys. <clears throat> Good morning. How's everyone doing? Got a student ministry section over there. First time. So, did uh, did Stephen get you the rotten vegetables and things that you were gonna throw at me if I get too boring? No. So, good morning. Yeah, my name is Grant, uh, and it is a pleasure and a privilege to, to serve here in this community, this church. Um, there's a lot happening. It's, it's quite incredible. You know, the, the pandemic was a difficult time, I mean, for all of us in different ways. I just really feel that, you know, God, all through that time, was, was planting seeds, the literal ones in the garden, but also, you know, spiritual ones in us, and just such a joy to be at this point in this church's life. And I just think back... The decades that this church has been around, you know, and Christ is still working in this place and through this place. So exciting. Um, and that you, you decided to come here this morning um, and not just, we don't just come for ourselves, we come for one another. It's such a sense of camaraderie and love, uh, this community that is being built here that God is building. And it extends out into the community. There's some folks on Saturday at the garden who don't attend New Song Church, but have found a place of belonging and connection. Uh, digging in the dirt with Rona and the gang. So just 
We don't really know what God is doing, but he is good at it, and he is faithful. So it's very exciting. Continue to pray for all of our ministries. Um, This morning, we are moving on in our series, The Summer of Love. This is my alternate week of black clothes. I'm keeping it fresh because I'm doing, you know, colorful tie-dye, whatever, than usual, right? I can't handle it every week. I'm not sure you can either. Um, And it's about the, 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 the statement that Jesus loves me. This I know, present knowledge of something incredible. Uh, The first three weeks, because of the nature of the song that we drew that idea from, we focused on the Bible. The Bible tells me so. Week one, we talked about what is Scripture. Uh, Those are all online, by the way, on our website if you want to go back and recap. If you're confused about how to understand the Bible, how to approach the Bible, how maybe to read the Bible, it's maybe worth checking out. Uh, Week two, Old Testament. And then last week, Melody brought a message about the New Testament. This week, something very different. Jesus loves me, this I know, for my conscience tells me so. Maybe you've read on the postcard that we're going to be doing this, you're wondering, what on earth is this about? Um, We're going to talk about the conscience today. What do we mean when we refer to our conscience? What is it like to experience having this thing called a conscience? How does it manifest itself in our lives? What does your conscience sound like? I've asked a few people this week, does it sound like your own voice? Where do you detect your conscience? Is it, does it feel like it's somewhere in your body? Is it in your head or your heart, your guts? Uh, in what situations does your conscience show up? What does it feel like to be this phrase, bothered by your conscience? What does that feel like? How would you describe to somebody if they didn't know anything about it and they said, so I heard about this thing called the conscience. What is a conscience? What is it all about? Is it perhaps like an inner voice? When you're sitting in a quiet room just reflecting, have a chance, a rare chance, right? Because usually we're all busy, but you get that moment when you're sitting in a quiet room reflecting on your life. Or perhaps it's more like an intrusive voice, like right in the middle of your daily comings and goings. Hello? Hello, Grant? Hello? Yeah, hi. This is your conscience speaking. I'm kind of busy right now. Yeah, so am I. You're my conscience, so, so my conscience sounds like an American woman. <laughs> Interesting. And actually, you sound an awful lot like the HR lady at the church I work at. Yeah, that's because everyone's conscience sounds like an HR lady. <laughs> well, I guess there must be some reason that you're interrupting and bothering me right now. Oh, you know why. No, I I don't think I do. Grant? Look, can we do this some other time? It's a really bad time. I'm really busy. I've got something to do. I can't really deal with this right now. Hey, you're the one who decided to write a sermon about your conscience. Hmm. As I was saying... God, grant me the serenity... Can I just... ...to accept the things that I cannot change... If you could just... ...and the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Are you done? Yeah. Do you have anything to say to me? My conscience is clear. As Mark Twain once said, a clear conscience is the sign of a bad memory. (laughs) And, as a famous cricket once said, let your conscience be your guide. That's all. So, the illustration, timely, wasn't it? 
We have this new microphone that connects to my head. It's really got to be careful what you think when you're in this place. But you know, our conscience may never speak that loudly, but most of us can probably identify with a sense of an internal voice um, that the conscience seems to be like. It's some kind of internal dialogue, whether it's an American lady or not. Um, what is this thing that we call the conscience, and how might it provide some evidence that there's a God who loves us? So I looked up a definition of the conscience, and this is from the internet, so it's obviously true, but the inherent ability of every healthy human being to perceive what is right and what is wrong, and on the strength of this perception, to control, monitor, evaluate, and execute their actions. It's kind of a complicated little statement, but the main two things I think are important is the first is every healthy human being, so a healthy person will probably experience this inner dialogue, this sense of a voice, and, and it's also connected with right and wrong. It seems to be something to do with morals, morality, whether what I'm doing, what I have done is right. My conscience bothers me. It's actually often most associated with things that I may have felt I've done wrong. Some kind of monitor or guide or judge that is part of me, it seems. You know, you could, you could question, and many people have, that this is simply just an aspect of culture, uh, so you live in a community, it's, it's, um, it's just the expectations of the community in which you live, they have certain expectations or etiquette or manners that are considered to be good. And so you feel guilty or your conscience is tied to those things. For example, who's wearing a hat in here this morning? Anyone? Excellent. Yeah, see? Who here in their life has ever had this un weird real feeling of being bothered by someone wearing a hat indoors, especially in church? Some older generation people, I remember seeing this, this poor kid got accosted at the church I worked at and practically had his hat knocked off by an older gentleman who thought it was the most offensive thing. So I know sometimes there are certain things I do, like wearing a hat in church or putting my elbows on the table, that, that are sort of, they are communal, they are part of a culture where I feel this conscience about it, even though I've no reason to do so, it is not inherently wrong. So yeah, there could be some of that. Superstition could also be something where we get bothered by something because we're superstitious, where you walk under a ladder and you get this voice saying, that was a bad idea. Break a mirror, spill salt, throw some over your shoulder. Which shoulder is it again? Left? Okay. <laughs> but I think many people have also said that it's not, it's not just limited to that. There are many things that don't seem to be those two things at all, the etiquette of the community or the culture or superstition. There are more fundamental moments of conscience that seem deeper in us, deeper things than simply where you live, who you live among, and, and, and where you live. Many people have come to the conclusion that there are some aspects of conscience that healthy human beings have in common, that we share this sense that's somehow connected to right and wrong, and it's common to human beings. C.S. Lewis wrote a lot about this. Some of you may have read Mere Christianity. And he wrote, if anyone take the trouble to compare the moral teaching of, say, the ancient Egyptians, Babylonians, Hindus, Chinese, Greeks, and Romans, what will really strike him will be how very alike they are to each other and to our own, the moral teaching. Human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way. I cannot really get rid of it. And he's talking about fundamental things such as, as, as taking of a life or lying or theft 
There's this kind of a commonality. People express these things in different ways according to their culture, but there's some fundamental common reality that we have this conscience that bothers us about certain things. So for the past three weeks, we've been studying the Bible, and that's kind of a good place to go. You say, the Bible tells me so, it feels concrete, it's written. This seems a lot more subjective, perhaps. But actually, the, the scriptures that we've been studying to discover this God of love seems to tell us something about this thing we call the conscience. The first thing it seems to tell us is that there's an origin. We can point to something in the Christian tradition, in the Jewish and Christian story, that says that there's a reason why we have this capability. And the first thing is right back at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1.27, says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Something about this being made in God's image. We have his fingerprints on us. We are unique. We are special. We are something glorious. We are not just matter. We are the product of of an intelligence, a creator God who made us. And in some way, he has made us to be like him. There's something profound about that. And the second thing is it seems that we have purpose. So life is not random. What we do and don't do is it's just not to be decided. This God who made us in his image gave us some sort of purpose. Therefore, straying from this purpose should probably have some repercussions with us. In Genesis 1.28, he said, God blessed them. And said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So to live in harmony, in peace, in joy with God and with creation is a purpose. But then there's entering this idea as well, we're told, of right and wrong. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. This concept of good and evil. But at that time, the human beings did not have, they had this purity about them. Their conscience would not bother them. It says, in fact, one of the greatest statements in Scripture is that Adam and, Eve and, his, Adam and his wife were both naked. They felt no shame. Shame didn't exist. There was the potential of right and wrong, but they lived in a place where they didn't have to have this bother of their conscience because they were just living out this this beautiful daily life. So they had a clear conscience, it tells us, but there is the possibility of right and wrong in this creation. Genesis 3, 6 to 12 continues the story. It says, when the woman saw that the tree, fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. They took the fruit. Suddenly they realized there's something wrong. This is wrong. I feel bothered by this. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings from themselves. They're trying to cover up this wrong And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden at the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. That sense, you feel it? Feel that sense of there's something has gone wrong. And the Lord God called to the man, where are you? His voice comes to the human beings, where are you? And the the man answered, I hid. I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not not to eat of? 
And then the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. Something's happened. The relationship between God and his creation has changed. There's no longer a, no shame. There's no longer a clear conscience. Now there's a dialogue. Somehow it seems that God is speaking into their lives about what has gone wrong and the man doesn't want to deal with it. Doesn't want to listen to the HR lady in his voice. Something has gone wrong. And very quickly in Genesis, we see this wrong continue, and it has this implication that there's a sense of right and wrong that humans possess, but often they will do what is wrong in violation of it. Adam and Eve had these children, Cain and Abel. In Genesis 4, it says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. There's a potential of wrong. There's an internal voice. However, however God spoke to this, this man, he was understanding that there was the potential of wrong and there was, a, there was a power, there was a voice, there was a dialogue that was encouraging to do right. But the story says, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And after that, we see the consequences of, of horror for this person who's committed this awful crime. So early, right early in the Bible, it teaches the sense of why we might have a conscience. We're made in the image of God. We have a purpose. There is purpose to life. We're made for certain activities, actions, behavior. Um, but things have become broken, and we seem now to fall into doing the wrong. And so we have some resistance, there's some turmoil within us, and it's part of this idea of a conscience where it bothers me, and I can't seem to shake it. There's a reason for this also, Scripture tells us, and it's this, that God's love, now it's, it's actually a loving thing, isn't it? It's a loving thing for us not to feel content doing evil. That is a gift. To not feel content doing evil is a gift of love. But unfortunately, God's love has competitors, and our conscience is a battlefield. You probably, many of you have probably heard the scripture in Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. God is not excluded from our hearts, but there's something about our hearts that is broken. It says deceitful. We are often good at um, deluding ourselves, justifying all kinds of behavior. There's a way the Bible talks about this is three aspects, the world, the flesh, and the devil. This appears again and again and again, these three things. The world being the culture in which we live tells us to do certain things, draws us into certain things, praises certain things. The classic peer pressure thing, right? They exerts a pressure on us which will sometimes cause us to violate our conscience. The second thing is the flesh. I just want to be comfortable and I want to have a good time all the time. As the guy from Spinal Tap said. No one's seen Spinal Tap. I'm not encouraging you to watch it by any means. But it complicates it. I am my own worst enemy often. The Apostle Paul, one of the greatest apostles for Jesus said, Oh, the good that I want to do, I can't seem capable of doing, but it's a thing that I don't want to do that I end up doing. Who will rescue me from this body of death? The struggle is real. And then the devil. Has anyone ever read Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis? We did a study a couple of years ago online. And it's all these letters from a, from a, a 
the uncle to the junior tempter about how to kind of get this patient, this subject, away from God. And it's full of all of this sinister stuff. The devil is called the accuser of their brothers and sisters, a liar who would like to suggest to us that which would violate our conscience. Yet, the good news is God is not excluded from his creation. God is here. He is present. He is with us. This is an amazing passage in Romans chapter 2 where Paul is talking about the law, which is kind of what this kind of refers to, the law that God gave, especially the Ten Commandments, talk about these things which are morally wrong. And many of them are things that we do internally struggle with as human beings. But he talks about something more, that there is something natural in that we are made in God's image. Even if we don't have the word of God, even we don't have that religious instruction, we don't have the words of the law, we still respond somehow to something within us that's telling us about right and wrong. In Romans 2 it says, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their conscience is also bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and other times defending them. So it may be marred, it may be frail and fragile, this conscience, and not always the perfect guide to right and wrong, but we all have this internal witness to what is right and what is wrong. In Ecclesiastes, Old Testament, the writer said, what do people really get for all their hard work? I've seen the burden God has placed on us all, yet God has made everything beautiful in its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Love those words. God has planted eternity in our hearts. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, and he has given all of us a capacity to understand something about our purpose on this earth towards God and towards one another. And when we violate that purpose, we do not escape consequences from that because he made us, his fingerprints are all over us and we cannot escape our creator. The third thing and good news is that God's love pursues us through our conscience. A conscience, the human conscience can be a means by which God may get our attention, at least initially. Jesus said to his disciples, on the night when he was betrayed and he had washed their feet and they'd had the, the Passover meal together and he'd said, this is my body, this is my blood. He said, now I go away to the one who sent me and none of you ask me where are you going, but because I've said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I did not go away, the helper would not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. Who's, who's Jesus talking about? Stephen mentioned the Trinity earlier on, right? So the third person of the, of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying he's gonna come. And what will he do when he comes? He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So the Holy Spirit is gonna come. And that's mysterious, Many people have tried to you know, get a handle on or box up or systematize the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit will not be boxed in. The, the holy, sovereign Spirit of God, Jesus said it's like the wind. 
You see the effects, but you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. But the Spirit is present in our land, in our place, in this place, among us, and he is always working. And this is what Jesus says he is doing. The first thing, conviction of sin. Of sin because they do not believe in me. That is the ultimate root of all sin, is that we don't recognize that we have a creator to whom we are responsible, who is the authority in all of this universe, that he made it. But and we, can, we can reject that because we think it's going to do bad things to our lives. The fact is he's a loving God. This is the whole series this whole summer is talking about. If we learn one thing, is that God loves us. He loves us. We need not be afraid of him. And he loves us so much. As someone said, God loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. And he will not let us stay in the pig pen, rolling in the mud. It won't feel good. Conviction. Because they do not believe in me. The second thing, conviction of righteousness. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Wouldn't it be a bummer if Jesus still lived in the Middle East and you had to get a plane to go have some kind of connection with God through Christ, right? The Spirit of Christ dwells with us. And he teaches us about righteousness. It's an inner witness to righteousness. And the third thing of judgment, he will convict the world of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. That's kind of like, whose side am I on? The defeated side of darkness or the victorious side of light? There's a witness within us towards that that the Spirit brings. So the fourth, the fourth point here is that our conscience must be cleansed by God's love. Our consciences are frail. They are unre often unreliable. There is a lot of cultural stuff that can cause our conscience to be bothered. I've met so many very sensitive people who are always bothered by their conscience for reasons that they should never be, and especially people who are sensitive towards God and the things of God. At least one person here has told me that it reduces them to tears when they hear the song, I'm so unworthy, but still he loves me. And that's beautiful. But, but sometimes it's part of that whole sense that our hearts don't really know whether they're coming or going sometimes. And that which should be good news to us almost turns into not such good news. We need to be cleansed. We need to know that we're not determined by the quality on a daily basis of our conscience, but upon the one who has saved us, who has cleansed us, who has redeemed us, Jesus. The song that we've been doing is Jesus loves me, he who died. Heaven's gate to open wide. He will wash away my sin. Let his little child come in. He will wash away my sin. Paul said at one point in one of his letters, I don't even judge myself anymore. You know, that's a big statement, right? But our judgments of ourselves are often not very accurate. We need to know that we've been cleansed. Jesus loves me still today, walking with me on my way, wanting as a friend to give light and life to all who live. So not only has he cleansed me, but he gives me daily illumination. I need to seek him to be Lord of my conscience. You know, we're doing baptisms next week, and... The apostle Peter, in one of his letters, talked about baptism, and he talks about a conscience. There's something beautiful about being baptized. I was baptized back in 1999. I'd never, as a child, I was sprinkled in the Church of Scotland, 
but none of my family really believed anything at that point. So when I was like 30 years old, I was like, I, I came back to God like with force, man. I was just like, I just woke up again. I'm loved. There's no limits to my life of him in Christ's will. He will knock down every wall. He will crush down every mountain. He will draw me. He will use me. I have a purpose now. And so I said, I want to get baptized. And it was the most profound. In fact, we had a neighbor who came in, an unbelieving neighbor, but she came because I invited the family. And she said she was so moved by the whole experience. And she said I was weeping because there was something about that clear decision publicly to say, I will follow Jesus and Peter says this, said, this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's one thing that's so wonderful about baptism, this whole picture of like, I am dying to my old life and I am being born into new life in him and I am now cleansed. I do not need to be ashamed anymore. We've been studying Hebrews in chapter 10, which we're not at yet, but says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having a heart sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. In 2 Corinthians 3, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The story of my conscience, the story of my life and how the two relate is not yet finished. It is being written today. I, I don't want to get mired down in the details of it. My first work for this is to say, Lord, you are everything to me. I am yours. My conscience is yours and offer myself to him. And he will take us at our word. There's an amazing book called Eternity in Their Hearts. Some of you may have read it. It's by... Uh, Don Richardson, is it Don? Yeah. I wrote down David Richardson because he's one of my friends and I'm, yeah, I'm old, 54, folks. It's coming for you, you young kids. So he, he wrote this book and he's a missionary. He's an amazing guy. He went to this tribe of uh, cannibalistic people in Papua New Guinea. His first book was about that story, um, how he realized that within this tribe, they had a myth, a story, an understanding of something that connected so perfectly with the gospel that when he discovered that, he was able to share with them in their own language about how to understand what Christ had done. That was his first book. The second book came from his travels more widely where he realized that all of these people he met who were, uh, they call unreached people groups, no one had ever gone and shared the gospel with them. They had aspects of their society that were already living it out some way toward this God that he come to share with them. And he wrote these good words at the end of his book, God has truly set eternity in our hearts. We know that our time here is limited. A gracious, loving God has not left himself without a witness. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's our primary job every day is to wake up. No matter what happened yesterday, no matter about what you're worried about is ahead of you in the day, our first primary job is responding to the abundant grace that welcomes you with no reservation every morning to say, I'll seek you, Lord. I will seek you. And, and then you don't know exactly all that's going to be happening. We're going to sing a song in a minute about the potter and about the painter and we're the clay. And, and he knows what he's doing with your life. And he doesn't make mistakes, but our purpose is to 
you want to have a good conscience, it does take some effort and determination, discipline. One of my favorite hymns was written in 1758 by Robert Robinson. It's called uh, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. You guys know that song? And I love this line. It says, tune my heart to sing thy grace. And the human heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can understand it? But God searches the heart and the mind. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. It's like when I was a kid, I had a radio. You, you know, kids, it's a shame now that so many things have gone away because when I was a kid at nighttime, like 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night, I had a little transistor radio and I would tune to all these stations. Right? Recognize this sound? That's comforting to me, that sound. If the score comes on for the game that's playing, sorry, spoiler alert. I'm kidding. That's good. That, that's kind of what, what we're kind of called to do. We have a conscience. Yes, we have this conscience. Yes, it has some ability to talk to us about God, to demonstrate his love to us. But sometimes it's like tuning a radio. We need intentionality to dial in to the voice. Amongst all the other voices around us that are telling us this, and many of them are internal. Voices of shame. Go past that channel. No, I'm not going to go there. I am not worthless. I am not whatever you might label yourself with. You're none of those things. You are God's dearly beloved child. And we got to find the station every day that reminds us what is true. Truth Radio, Grace and Truth Radio, FM. Or we, can, or we can shut it out. Because God's voice is often a lot quieter than the other voices in our head. That still, small voice that seeks to whisper words of love to you and to me, reminding us of who we are. He is not a bully. Sometimes we can shut it out. You know, Ron and our family live in Kavina, and we didn't know how good we had it the first few years we were there because, you know, we're next to houses, and prior to them, we lived in a parking lot by the church in a parsonage with nothing else really around. Got noisy sometimes, though. We learned the benefit of a white noise machine back then. But we'd long since put our white noise machine aside because... Uh, we lived next to a man who was about 97 years old, I think, and he lived on his own, and he was silent. On the other side, there was a couple silent, beautiful. We sat outside. Well, then some other neighbors bought the house because sadly he passed away. His other neighbors came, and they are uh, they're they're people from East India, and I think there's a young guy there who calls home. I think because of the time difference, it's super late, and so he talks so loudly. And you know it's bad hearing one side of a phone conversation when you're trying to sleep, that'd be bad, but also I can't understand anything that he is saying and he's really excited about the phone call and it's brilliant, I love it, because I call my parents at home. But it's always, and it feels like, what a jerk to go about, excuse me, can you just like shut up, we're trying to sleep. And we like sleep with our windows open because we like, you know, whatever. So we've reintroduced the, the white noise machine and it works very well, thank you. But I think sometimes in a negative sense we can do that with God. We fill our lives with white noise, and sometimes we just don't want to hear from him because he's getting at something that's really central and core. And so we were like, Psh, and just sleep and switch that noise on. 
more noise, more noise, more noise. And it may be okay for a little while, but eventually it's gonna start to, it's gonna start to harm us. My first ever pastor told me a story, which I modified uh, a little bit, but it's about two dogs. And this guy who owned the two dogs, I picked labs, because we all love labs, right? Um, he would race them for wagers. And he'd travel around doing this, and somehow he always seemed to win <clears throat> whenever one he bet on. And so he was introducing his young son to the business of dog racing and wagering. I'm not sure that's really a thing. Um, and his son asked him, well, how come you always know who wins? And he says, well, the one that I feed is the one that wins. The one that I feed is the one that wins. This is, this is, this is it. We, we, can, we can tune the radio, but it's, what are we inputting? How are we feeding this part of us, this conscience, this, this voice that will quietly and gently and persistently remind us both who we are and what God is calling us into and be a daily guide, pray, pray constantly, that kind of thing, rather than a, a conscience that condemns us or a conscience that lets us off the hook for things that should not be. I was thinking about a, a cleansed, active conscience and how beautiful that is. You know how great it is to wake up with a clear conscience? Um, but it also is a guide for life. And I was thinking about the concept of a canary in a coal mine. You guys know what that means? So canary in a coal mine is when back in the day, uh, early coal mining before Margaret Thatcher destroyed it all, but that's another story. Um, they, would, they would go down and they would have a bird in a cage in the coal mine because if poisonous gas came, this little bird was pretty susceptible to the poison and it would die first and it'd be a sign for the guys to get out of the coal mine because there's gas around. And I think sometimes we head off into the mines of life with a very sickly, if not dead, bird in a cage because we do not tune our conscience. We do not seek to feed our conscience, to take care of our conscience. We deny, we push down that voice and, we, and it's, it's a reliable guide. I've seen people, I've had at least one two people that I realized their conscience was getting so hard and so seared that they and those they loved were in danger because they had lost all sensitivity to the things that were happening around them. This is for our protection. God loves us. He wants us to be tuned in to his voice, his guidance, his leading, his conviction. So how do we care for our canary? <laughs> you know, if, it, if we think of it like that, how do we care for our conscience? Well, I think there's three areas that would be really important. And the first one is, and these are not, this is not rocket science, this is nothing new you've never heard before. You know, sermons aren't like one day someone's gonna talk to you and suddenly your life's gonna be completely changed. It's a cumulative thing. Over time, hopefully, we have the same things that we say and we, and we have some light and illumination and maybe one day we say, I'm gonna change this one little thing and see how that happens, right? But the first thing is prayer in the word. Melody shared when we were in Hebrews that for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Isn't that not a great description of a conscience? The thoughts and attitudes of the heart. One of my memory verses when I was first back in church, and I was so thankful that I was at the church I was at because they valued the word of God. And everything we did, Ronald said the other day, all the scripture I memorized came from two studies at the first church we were ever at, experiencing God. And what was the other one? The mind of Christ. And this is one of the memory verses was this, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. I've hidden your word in my heart 
that I might not sin against you. It's readily available. It's part of my conscience. It is material from which I will draw as far as knowing what might be right, what might be wrong from the God who loves me. And then the second thing is gratitude. Remember hearing this guy talking about, you know, if you're trying to read your Bible early in the morning, you're tired and you fall asleep. And this just really spoke to me because I would do that and then I would like feel guilty. So all it, 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 I'd be like, oh, I'm an idiot. Sorry, God. Sorry, God. Please, you know, I'm, oh, you know what I mean? That kind of stuff. And he said, yeah, it happens. He was talking about that himself and doing that and saying, when he wakes up, he goes, oh, thank you, Lord, for waking me up. Thank you, Lord, for waking me up. It's a different, it's a whole different thing. So when conviction comes, it's, it's like gratitude. Thank you. Thank you. It doesn't mean you're going to do the right thing all the time, right? But thank you you've not given up on me, God. Thank you that you still bother me about that thing. Thank you that I still can trust that you're going to show up in my life in ways that I can understand and experience and know because you love me. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Conversation, a dialogue. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus like protection and thanksgiving's part. You thank him in advance for what he's gonna do tomorrow because he will never fail you. And the last thing is confession. This is a really important one. Anyone ever had like discovered dry mold or wet mold or fungal things in their, in their remodel of their house? Anyone had that problem? When something damp has been happening, there's been some water leak and nobody noticed it and it got out of control. Things grow in the darkness, and a great way to have a clean conscience is to be honest and transparent. God sees right through all of our pretense, but sometimes we don't to each other. Scripture talks about the value of confession to God, but clearly again and again also talks about the value of finding a trusted person who also knows they're a sinner, that they are not perfect, and come with them and say, hey, me too. I really feel like I screwed up, or I'm screwing up, and can you help me, brother? We pray with me? That's a beautiful thing. Confession is not a terrible thing. It's not a frightening thing. As long as you have someone you can trust, don't just go blabbing to everyone because some people are not trustworthy. They will not use that information well. But you find someone who is humble, who has been through the realization that they don't have it all together, and they will, and they will be blessed by your honesty with them, and you will be blessed. And the final thing is this. Our cleansed conscience and God's love are a world-changing partnership. As we are being cleansed, as we are growing closer, we're tuning in that dial, we're feeding and caring for our conscience, we know that we're forgiven, we start with a clean conscience every day, and then we use that as our guide. I'm sure there's people who have walked with Jesus for way, way, way longer than I have who could do this sermon much better because they have the experience of what it can grow to being, this dialogue, this daily interaction and conversation with God. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we may serve the living God? This is all for the purpose of restoring us to our right mind and our right purpose to serve God in this world by the power of the spirit. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers, Paul writes to his friend Timothy. For this reason, I am reminded you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline.
God is good. He is faithful. And I hope and I believe that he's speaking to every single person. Some of the conversations are angry. Some of the conversations are beautiful and gentle. But that's our confidence that God is already at work in us and around us. And we simply assent to that. Say, yes, Lord. Open my heart to you. Amen. Grant. Grant. Do you, you hear that? Again? So, how do you think your message went? <laughs> uh, I'm not really sure. I think that's kind of immaterial. Um, well, I think it went okay. But since you're here, I got something I need to say to you, American HR woman conscience voice. Uh, there's something I need to talk with you about. I'd like to introduce you to someone who I think can help both you and me. It is the God who made me in his image, who loves me perfectly, and is full of grace and truth, and with whom I am most truly myself, with no condemnation or guilt anymore. And I would like you to run all future stuff through him, please. But can, what if I just... Uh... That's all. Amen. So guys, yeah. Thank you to my lovely assistant, Linda. New song, HR, person extraordinaire. You gotta check out her t-shirt, by the way. It's a very special conscience-related t-shirt. Conscience-related t-shirt. We're gonna go to communion now, and I wanna keep this really, really simple. Because we have confidence that, that to be transformed by the Holy Spirit, you know, like, he's in charge of that. He knows you. I know many of you. I wish I could remember the thing that Bilbo said. I know half as many of you, half as much as you deserve. And remember that? Come on, guys. Lord of the Rings. Stephen's got it. But, but God knows you. He, just as you sit here right now. And he loves you. And he's able to communicate with us. He is not shut out. So for communion, we're just going to begin with just some... Silence, you know, it doesn't happen very often. Let's take a time to be, be quiet. And we'll just speak, oh Lord, your servant is listening. Might be a good thing to say in our hearts. And then as you feel it's time, you can get up. And we'll just do this in silence, okay, everyone? Let's just keep, keep quiet just now for that. And uh, we'll come up and get a cup piece of bread, and then we'll hold them together, and in a minute we'll take communion together. If there's anyone needs served where they are, you can raise your hand and someone will come and serve you.
John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming, said, Behold, the Lamb of God, he takes away the sins of the world. I don't know if he fully understood what he was saying at that point, but he was led to speak this out before the people. You know, I think about the disciples gathered on the night Jesus did this with his friends, and talk about conscience. There was some stuff happening. I'm sure they were all struggling in many ways with what to make of what's going on. I'm sure there was a lot of internal dialogue happening. I'm sure Judas was like really struggling. And they didn't understand what Jesus was doing when he washed their feet. They didn't understand what Jesus was doing when he broke the bread and he took the cup. But Jesus knew what he was doing. And he invited and welcomed these conflicted, complicated, messy human beings to the meal, to the table with him. He is higher and greater than their sin. And he was saying he was going to take care of it. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and all who come he will receive, he will cleanse us, he will set us on our feet in our right minds, clothed, ready to serve him, in community with others, by his great love, we take the bread with thanksgiving. And we take the cup it reminds us that all of our sin was yet future when Christ died for us and he is faithful and he holds us with his love nothing can separate us from the love of Christ thank you Father thank you Lord simply pray that you continue to dialogue with us. We are listening in our hearts. Please continue to do your good work with us. Thank you that you highly esteem us. May we bring you glory um, even in our weakness and have your way with your people, we pray. As we worship you, remind us again that you do all things well and that you're for us. We pray in Jesus' name.